Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Whittle here with Steve Green and Scott Ott. And uh, this is your right angle entitled, I don't know what else to call it, Unexpected Reverence. Uh, James May is a, a, a Brit who uh, likes to drive cars and kind of does that for a living. I'm not going to give this any more introduction other than to say, here are some of James May's thoughts as he drove a particular car down a particular stretch of road. Oh, my word. Turning onto the space shuttle runway, it's three miles long. Here are some enormous skid marks left by the wheels of the space shuttle. But this is Neil Armstrong's Corvette. here he looked at the instruments like that he he touched that Neil Armstrong the first person to set foot somewhere other than the earth I mean almost a quarter of the world's population watched him live the owner of this car when he realized what it was he'd found decided not to restore it he would leave it exactly as it was he would just do enough to make it run. So he hasn't done the paint, he hasn't replaced bits in here. This is all exactly as he found it. There's patina on the bonnet there. There's a scuff bit on the door. It's real. Hello, Rev Counter. Neil Armstrong's looked at you, hasn't he? Uh, Steve, the most remarkable thing about this clip is that that's not me speaking. I think that's probably the most amazing thing uh, because that's exactly how I feel. First thought I had was, well, so here's a guy driving uh, Neil Armstrong's uh, blue Corvette Stingray uh, down the uh, runway at Kennedy Space Center. My first thought was Neil drove a blue Corvette Stingray. And my second thought was, well, of course he did. Of course. What, of course he did. They all did. Why? What else would you drive if you're a steely-eyed missile man? Uh, the car was maintained from the person who bought it from Neil, uh, exactly as Neil had left it. And that sense of what he was doing, like this is the steering wheel, this is the speedometer. Neil Armstrong touched these things. Now, I don't want to talk so much about this Neil Armstrong car, Steve, but one of the signs of a healthy civilization is a, is a, a respect and an admiration for the things that got it to where it is, uh, a, a, an appreciation of the sacrifices and the and the and the stress. We almost always make memorial. In fact, I can't think of an example where we don't make memorials of hard times, bad things that happened. Nine Eleven memorials, Gettysburg, Gettysburg battlefield memorials. All of these things are crises and, and horrors that that people who read history. Uh, appreciate. And so what I wanted to ask both of you, we'll start with you, Steve, is have you ever had a moment like the one that James May had where you were either, yeah, in fact, where you are in direct physical contact with something from the past? Maybe it's an object, maybe it's a location, but have you ever had that reverential sense of, my God, I cannot believe I'm either standing where or touching something that this person actually had in their hands? Yeah. 
Um, I got a couple of versions of that, actually. Uh, when I was eight years old, my dad, his best friend, lived in Baltimore, and we would go out there and visit for a couple of weeks every summer. And when I was eight, we did this for the first time, and we spent a, a couple, three days in Washington, D.C., where I'd never been before. And little me at the age of eight was uh, allowed to discover what instantly became one of my favorite places in the whole world, and that's the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. Yep. And I was just enthralled. They had rockets. They had capsules. They had planes. They did the exhibits. I just, I wandered around there practically slack-jawed um, with my dad, Ira, and his daughter, and just, just had a blast. And you could go anywhere and just look at almost anything. But in the entire museum, and it's it's pretty big, in the entire museum, there was only one place that I can remember that had a line, Bill. Just one. And that was uh, the moon Apollo rock. 11 capsule? Oh, moon the rock. The moon rock. The moon rock you could go up and touch. And it's in this, like, this huge display case with a little opening that you can put your hand in and touch the moon rock. And I remember as I was getting close enough to actually see the moon rock, and this was a long line, and I'm an eight-year-old kid, not exactly yeah. known for patience. I could tell that they, they'd made it smooth. It had been not Rubbed worn down. smooth by hands, but you can't put a sharp rock where everybody in the world can can touch the thing. And I remember thinking how disappointed I was that this moon rock had been had been made into like a mirror-like surface. Uh, but then I got to the front of the line and I touched it. And all of that went away. I was touching a rock brought back by astronauts, American astronauts who had been to the moon and back. And it made me in some small, minuscule way a part of that whole thing. And it's amazing. Uh, the other part is uh, a few years later, I guess I was uh, 14, 15 at the time, is when my dad passed away. He's quite young. But he had this uh, signet ring. I don't know how well that's going to show up on, on camera. That uh, was a high school graduation gift. His dad, my grandfather, actually designed this ring to give to my dad for his high school graduation. When dad died, I started wearing it. And I was a skinny kid, not even full grown yet. So, of course, I had it sized down. Now, as I've gotten older and a little less skinny, it tends to happen. Uh, I couldn't wear it anymore, and uh, instead of getting it resized, I stuck it in a safe and kind of forgot about it these last probably 10 or 12 years now. And when we were talking about this episode on the backstage, I thought of this thing, and that sort of tangible connection to the uh, two most important men of my life. I'm going to get it resized. Tangible, that's the word tangible. Uh, I, I touched it. There's the, I remember at the Air and Space Museum, uh, first time I went, it's like, wow, that's a really accurate rendition of the Spirit of St. Louis. That's a no. very, very good display. No, that's no, the that's Spirit the of St. Louis. Yeah. That's the plane. That's the actual plane that actually, yeah, that's the actual plane. That's the actual X-1. That's the actual Spaceship One, all of that stuff. Uh, Scott, you 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 appreciate this kind of thing too. You know, there's, there's one thing to know history. There's one thing to be impressed by history. The three history series and, and, and the, the, the quality of this country's history is good. Well, we got better history than anybody as usual. Um, but, but it's that, it's that proximity. That's the word I'm looking for. It's, it's proximity. It's either the ability to touch something or to say on this spot, this happened. 
You got a story for us on that, uh, that kind of thing? A couple of years ago, I had occasion to be in the old Pennsylvania State House that uh, these days we refer to as Independence Hall. And I was in the room where the U.S. Constitution was drafted. And because we were shooting a show, a series there, um, we had extraordinary access to this room. Normally, if you go there as a tourist, you stand behind this little fence and, and a docent will tell you about the room and what went on there. And one of the things I learned from the the host there and the docents was that uh, every piece of furniture in the room is a reproduction. Um, they didn't have any of the original furniture there except for the chair that George Washington sat in. Um, so when we uh, early in the morning were allowed to go in there before the tourists got there and get some close-up shots so that we could use as B-roll in the series that we were doing, I stood next to George Washington's chair and I put my hand above it, but I could not bring myself to touch it. It was just like, if you tried to force my hand to touch it, I would have recoiled uh, because there was just something awesome and sacrosanct about that, that um, this is actually the chair where Washington sat. To a lesser extent, I also, they have the, the furniture laid out the way it's supposed to be. And I stood where James Madison sat and took copious notes of the proceedings of the convention that were published in later years. In fact, Dolly later sold the whole collection of his notes uh, to the U.S. government. And Madison showed up at the convention early so that he uh, could make sure he was there before anybody else. And when he went into the room, he picked a seat so that he could see everybody. So this was the seat from which you could see all of those people who framed the U.S. Constitution. And there's this famous line from Benjamin Franklin and at the end of the convention in September of 1787 when he says, you know, during the course of these days this summer, I have uh, often observed the, the back of the president's chair. And there's this embossed image of a son, a partial image of a son there. And he said, I've often wondered whether it was a rising sun or a setting sun. And he concluded, I think it's a rising sun. And that chair was right next to me. <laughs> and I can't, I, it's hard to explain. It's not just wood. It's not just sticks and it's glue. Not. It's not just a piece of furniture. But there, the event that happened there and the person who occupied the chair made it into something more that will carry an impression in my mind as long as I have a grasp on my mind. So um, some of you know that I've done uh, three historical series for Daily Wire, did one on the Apollo program, did one on the Cold War, and then one on America's Forgotten Heroes. And my love of history actually really started in the mid-90s. Um, I had a relative getting married in Harrisburg, and I was staying in Harrisburg, and I thought, well, I don't have any particular interest in Gettysburg, but I have nothing to do today, so I'll take the hour drive down there. And I knew nothing really about the Civil War. Uh, the only thing I remember clearly, and you can just take this for what it's worth, but this is what I remember, as I was parking the car and heading up to the display area in Gettysburg, I had this vision of of like lines of Union soldiers marching in that same direction. It didn't last long, just like that. I thought, wow. 
well, they're not real. Uh, and then I thought, well, I was here five seconds ago and that's not real either. What they did here is more important than what I did here. And, and, and it is, it is burned into this ground. From that point, I just became a civil war nut. I stood, I stood at the mule shoe in, um, in Spotsylvania looking out over this expanse, trying to find out where this, where this one particular point where they fought hand to hand for 16 hours. And it turns out, no, 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 that's a modern skill battle. You're standing in it. It's right here. Hmm. Here it is right here. Oh my Lord. I was in the, uh, the, the room that, um, Stonewall Jackson died in and I could just see the bed right there. I've stood, uh, I've stood at the bed that Lincoln died in across the street from Ford's theater and seen the bloodstains on the pillow and seen how small that tiny, tiny, tiny room is. And then several years ago, um, I had a chance to introduce Glenn Beck in an event out here in California. And, uh, and Glenn was kind enough to call me up on stage. And Glenn, as you may or may not know, collects a lot of historical artifacts. And he got me up on stage. He said, here, Bill, I want to give you something. And he gave me a, a pair of steel dividers, those pointy things that you would use on a map to kind of mark out, set the scale and you sort of walk it out. And so I'm holding these, uh, this solid steel item. And he said that those, those dividers belong to George Washington. And I just thought this, this, this thing here that I'm holding was there. It was everywhere. It was, it was at, it was, he, he had this crossing the Delaware, you know, all of this. And then he said, and then Glenn said something that really, really drove the spike into me. He said, okay, so hold it, hold it like that. And I said, now, now tell me what you feel. And I said, there's a little, like a little dent right here for my thumb. Also, it's almost like it's made for my thumb. And he said, yeah, uh, that divider that you're holding was Washington's worry stone. And that impression in this hardened steel came from decades of Washington rubbing his thumb over this spot, trying to, to, to calm himself. He was an extraordinarily calm guy, but we've always looked back at history and say, well, of course he won. Well, of course this, well, of course we, no, 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 no. It was not inevitable. And that connection, really blew my mind. And the larger point on all this is simply this. The reason that you don't teach American history anymore or world history anymore is because when you look back at the heroic individuals who have made the history of this country what it is, you stand in awe of them if you know about them. If you don't know about them, then you don't. Progressives feel that there is a, a bottom-up view of history, that, that there are no great men that if it hadn't been for George Washington, some other guy would have stepped up and done it and so on. I completely disagree with this, 100%. If you take away the greatness of your history, then you take away people's reverence for the past and that makes them harder to form into the little clay figures that they want for the future. But when you do understand it, when you do understand that you've got your hand on the stick ship that Neil Armstrong drove his car around before he was, uh, you know, I was driving on the moon in my lunar <laughs> rover. It, it, it makes the connection. And so just the final story on this whole thing. Uh, I've had a chance to shake hands with a lot of people in my life, uh, and I'm very grateful for that. But of all the hands that I've ever shaken, the, the one that, that moved me the most was, uh, was Buzz Aldrin. Uh, I had all of four seconds with him, shook his hand, said thank you, 
and and moved on. And then I realized that this hand that I had shaken had grabbed that ladder and walked down on the moon. And that iconic picture of him standing there, this picture right here that you're looking at right now, look down at his right hand and I shook that hand that had been on the moon. Uh, if you don't experience these things, there's something wrong with you. And more and more people are not experiencing these things because there's something wrong with us. This society is trying to eliminate a reverence for the past. And seeing this unexpected uh, reverence just made my entire day, and hopefully it'll make yours too. For Steve Green and Scott Ott, I'm Bill Whittle. We'll see you next time right here on Red Angle.